9 a.m. in New York, 4 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to In Transit with Sunday Bean. I'm an intercultural strategist, transformation facilitator, and solution-oriented coach. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed through any life transition. What happens when a woman from Northeast Africa gets together and has a chat with another from the Midwest of North America. We'll find out in today's episode that is centered around community. I'm so excited to welcome our guest, Senite Mesfin Pichigalo. Senite Mesfin Pichigalo is an empowerment coach, certified life purpose coach, and relationship workshop facilitator and author of you're in America, now what? Seven skills to integrate with ease and joy. Senate is passionate about serving immigrant communities from developing nations. She speaks and writes in Tigrinya, Amharic, and English. She's navigated her own life transitions from Ethiopia to Eritrea, China, and the U.S. Senate, it is my heartfelt pleasure to welcome you to In Transit. Thank you so much, Sunday, for having me. It's really an honor to be here with another uh, powerhouse woman. <laughs> <laughs> we were saying before we were having tech problems and we said we were already breaking the internet. <laughs> so speaking, speaking of community and the power of community, you and I actually met through someone from Expat Coach Coalition who knew that we needed to be brought together. So I'm really excited um, to have that conversation because in our first call, we ended up discovering um, that we had some I don't know, maybe surprising similarities in the way that we grew up based on where we grew up. Yes, it, it was really a surprise to me when I talked to you and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, That's not yeah, all my exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So we were going to, we're going to be playful today. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a, almost like a, a challenge or a game where we're going to bring out topics that are surrounded with the topic of community. And then we're going to see what's similar and what's different. But before we do that, I want to hear more about you. Tell the audience about you and how did you end up going from East Africa to the Western coast of the United States? Um, sure. Thank you. Um, so I was born and grew up in Ethiopia and uh, my, my family and I uh, moved to Eritrea in 91 after um, Eritrea gained um, uh, her independence from Ethiopia. And um, I lived in uh, Eritrea for about 10 plus years. And then there was some condition that my, my son had that forced me to look for medical treatment in China. That's why I traveled to China. <laughs> wow. And I, I lived there for two years which was mm. another adventure uh, by itself, completely different from where I grew up. <laughs> and um, went back to Eritrea again. Um, uh, and then I was working there for some time with um, some uh, international NGOs and uh, United Nations. Um, but I knew that my son um, needed more services and I wanted better life for him and for myself so it's actually a miracle <laughs> if you believe in miracles I won a green card lottery to wow. um, to come to the U.S. 
it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to have that. And it was like, oh my God, this is an answer to my prayer. So here I am after <laughs> deliberately thinking about it and taking risk uh, because it's, I wanted a better life for me and for my son. Right. Wow. Right. That is, you can <laughs> literally tell your child that you would go around the world to do anything for them. <laughs> that is, that's a mother's that is incredible. Right. I want to know a little bit more about those experiences, especially going, you know, you went for such a good reason to give your son the care that he needed um, medically, which is a huge motivator, but things are still tough, even though if you know your why of going. Mm -hmm. um, before we find out a little bit about some of the challenges that you had in each place, I would love to play this game with you where we pick a topic around community and then we just see how, how our experience is similar and how might they be different. My first question to you is when you think of community, what three things come to mind first? Hmm. So my idea of a community has both sides, like when I was in uh, Africa and when I'm here. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say from both, one of the things that come to my mind is that I am everybody's business. Everybody knows what I'm doing <laughs> and what I'm thinking <laughs> when I'm breathing. <laughs> this is great. Wait, a minute, I have to tell you. So I wrote down three topics before because I wanted to see if they were similar, right? So we have one hit. I wrote down gossip. <laughs> so that's what you said everybody's business. And I wrote down independent. You didn't know I wrote this down. I wrote down gossip as one of the three things. So tell me, see, we already have that in common. Tell me more. Give me an example about being everybody's business. Well, I grew up in Africa. So it, I mean, when, when they say it takes a village to raise a kid, Mm -hmm. uh, they're not kidding. <laughs> it does. And <laughs> growing up there, um, I remember that everybody has um, the right to discipline me. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody has, um, you know, advice, whether it's welcome or unwelcome. <laughs> mm. Everybody uh, gets a say in your business, in your future plan and everything. Um, but at the same time, also, you know, you get to hang out um, with your neighbors as if they're your brothers and sisters. So there is the, uh, the positive side to that. Okay. So I'm going to share from mine, what it resonates with me. Go for it. I don't think the right to discipline. I don't think that matches when I think about everybody's business, but I grew up in a small town, um, about 10 to 12,000 people. And I remember, I don't know if I shared this story with you the first time we spoke, I remember walking into my 12th grade English class. And the teacher looked at me and he goes, you're a bean. And I look back and I'm like, uh, yeah. And he goes, I had your sister, your brother, your mother, and your father. <laughs> so this man um, had been a teacher to my entire family. So instantly the legacy of the beans is going to be slapped on me. Um, which I really don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how wild my dad was uh, in high school. And he's probably listening to this right now and chuckling. But it, um, it is a thing of we have known each other literally for generations. And that also means we know each other's stories and we know our 
our, the worst of ourselves, right. And the best of ourselves. So I don't know if that resonates with you. Right. That's, that's really, um, amazing. The other thing I really resonated with is about your neighbors that you spend time with them, like brothers and sisters. And I grew up, we call them family friends. They are friends of the family, but they are like family, right? That I, you know, I remember my parents would be, you know, listening to music and dancing and I would get out from my bed at night and I'd, you know, maybe two or three or four and I'd go down the stairs and I shouldn't because it was late and I'd dance on the feet of, you know, one of my dad's friends to one of my favorite songs. And we just grew up together, you know, they were always around. That's beautiful. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that. Uh, I remember some of, um, uh, not some of, most of my neighbors, whether they're adults or um, uh, kids, I remember their names. I can't remember uh, a name recently. I, I've been saying I'm getting younger. I don't remember names, but mm-hmm. I can never forget the names of mm-hmm. those I grew up with. So mm-hmm. it's a connection, yeah. That's beautiful. So you said, you said everybody's business. I wrote down gossip that was similar. What else popped up in your mind when you thought of those three things? Um, unconditional support. I wrote down support as well. That was the <laughs> second thing I had. Isn't wow. that cool? <laughs> oh um, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Tell me why, why, what led you to say that? Um, well, coming here and moving around, I had learned, I had to learn, you know, out of necessity, I had to surround myself with support system that, you know, nurtures me and sustains me, right? We all need support and um, and I'm a very social person, so I need that kind of support. And people that I have surrounded myself with right now is my, uh, you know, my strong support system and they nurture me. And there is unconditional support that I get from them, but also it's a reciprocity, right? I also nurture those uh, relationships. So it's, I don't even know what I would do without that support. So Mm, I I feel like I'm unconditionally supported. (laughs) So what, what came up for my mind, I wrote down support and I was specifically thinking about funerals. Um, growing up, you know, for me, community means in my hometown, if someone passed away and you knew them, the entire church was full. There wasn't a pew in the building that was, uh, not occupied. And we're talking a thousand people and think of the ratio of like a town of 10 to 12,000. That's a lot of people that come out for one family. That's the kind of support that I am overwhelmed by. So kind of a a nod to the community I grew up in, in Williston, North Dakota, they know how to show support when someone's struggling. Um, I've had family, you know, friends where they lost their father and other friends who were farmers came and harvested their crop. Wow. You know, or they, right. Or they bring lasagna over when there's been a death in the family to make sure that you've got something to eat. So how do, how do people show support when you were growing up in community? The same. I mean, um, I was actually talking about this with a friend who um, is in the path of, um, she calls herself a, a doula, um, mm-hmm. an life doula. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we, we were talking about, you know, the support that we have back home. And one of the cultural shocks actually I have in the U.S. is how we handle funerals or, mm. you know, uh, when you lost someone, um, 
people tend to do it privately. You know, they mourn privately and they it's a private affair or maybe just very close friends. Uh, that's very um, shocking to me because where I come from, it's pretty much like your, your mm -hmm. town. Um, everybody goes there. It's not just about the food. It's not just about, you know, uh, being there, but they also mourn together. They yeah. cry together. They help the person go through uh, the stages of the grief, you know, denial or whatever, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. things that we know in the modern world about grief, they do it. They do it. They stay there like for 12 days with the family who lost someone and they make sure that that person goes through the grieving process and they are never alone, even if they wanted to. So yeah, right. <laughs> I get it. I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of shocked you're saying this because one of the things I really struggled with when I lived in Switzerland is I was expecting or maybe hoping for the community rally around funerals. And I was shocked when I saw the difference because Switzerland is also more privacy um, oriented. And right. in my own life, we had, we had this horrible situation where we lost a lot of people in a very short period of time. And I felt very supported by my community. But when I, when I observed closely with other losses, I, I wanted to go and support. I wanted to bring over lasagna, but it, I really got the message of like, no, let them be, let them be private. And I think as a friend, you feel, uh, I don't know, helpless, or you want <laughs> to show that you're there, but you don't know how. And I also worry that, um, and this is not a culturally uh, um, adaptive mindset, right? This is a, definitely from my bias. I'm like, are you grieving like enough? Because that grief has got to come out. You know what I mean? Like you got to get that out of there. You know, <laughs> like, are you doing what you need to do? Because if you don't, it's going to come out sideways. Um, and I know, and I know, I'm, I know, you know, cognitively, everybody needs to grieve in their own way. And culturally you need to grieve in your process, but when you're sitting there and it's so close, so intimate to grief, right. Uh, right. that's where you go back to your old defaults, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, so, okay. I'm really curious about the third one. What was the third thing that came up when you thought of community? Okay. So, uh, growth comes to mind. Growth. Say more. Um, well, it's very challenging to be in a community and I'm talking about both. Uh, I've seen both, right? Uh, being in a smaller community where I was everybody's business versus mm -hmm. the community that I have, uh, uh, I chose to build around me with, you mm -hmm. know, people being co-creators, of course. And uh, in each uh, situation, there's always a, a room to grow because you have to live with people, right? Mm. And you have to deal with different personalities that is different from yours. And mm. um, that's not also your family. So mm -hmm. it, there is a lot of growth if you allow it to, because mm. you need to coexist and you need to find a common um, place to collaborate and then also to embrace someone's difference right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you might not have the same uh, point of view as me or you might have different ideas about something else and uh, in order for me to be able to embrace you your whole you not the one that I only accept of or the similarities oh my god mm -hmm. I like this part of you and I don't like that part of you mm -hmm. but you need 
to step into their point of view with meaning in their shoes to understand where they are coming from um, and to in, in order to embrace that. So mm. there's a lot of growth that comes from that. Right. And my, my biggest growth came when I actually built <laughs> Uh, the support system by choice uh, in Africa. What about when you're, you're popping into communities? So one of the things, as I was listening, I, I might be revisiting some old stuff when I was much younger, but I remember I left home in 1998 to, wow. to be abroad. And um, that was a long time ago. And in my community, you know, small town community, people have, you know, basically most of the people a couple hundred years ago, got on a boat from Scandinavia, took a you know covered wagon across America and and homesteaded there, right? And that's where they stayed. And so it was really um, odd for me to leave. And I, I remember this resistance when I would come back and visit. I got this feeling like Sunday you've changed, like that was a bad thing, you know, mm. and almost like a betrayal you know, if my viewpoints were more liberal or if my viewpoints were not just localized, that it was almost like there was a betrayal. And I'm wondering if you feel that when you go back home. Um, yes, there's totally um, a loss of self, mm -hmm. um, the old self, I would say, uh, mm -hmm. but it's still there. It's just evolved. And in the beginning, actually, when I was trying to integrate to this culture, the first thing that came is like the fear of losing that, losing who, uh, what made me, you know, <laughs> and not being able to go back and connect to other people. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a big fear that in the community, actually, uh, if it, you know, what it means to be connected, to integrate or being friends with other um, culture is losing that sense of yourself or, you know, what made you. Um, of course, I, I went back only once, but I felt like very strange <laughs> because mm -hmm, I've seen mm -hmm. this uh, person that have uh, evolved more than, it's like a scale. Oh my God, this is how much I've changed. <laughs> mm -hmm, right, okay. right. It's not a bad thing. It's just different. So but there is, like you said, there's that guilt you feel, oh my God. <laughs> mm. Or like fear, yeah. like fear of being abandoned. Like they won't like me if I don't, like I can't, there's no choice here. I, you know, it's not like I, I, I choose to stay the same. There's no choice. I can't like that's connected right. to this idea of growth. Right. Um, and right. that doesn't, you know, it goes to how should I say this? There's another side of that story too, where I felt very welcome and embraced and all of that. So I'm just speaking to one aspect um, of the story, obviously. I want to uh, hear your third one though. Okay. My third one, it wasn't as like deep as growth. I just put food down. I want, I thought, you know, community, we come together around food. And so a perfect example is my brother. We have a chat with my brother and my sister that we share. It's usually just really silly memes is what we do, but I I'm pulling up my phone right now. And it says, I remember the spoons taste more than the ice cream. And it's a picture of this tiny little bucket of vanilla ice cream and the wooden spoon that you would eat it with. 
And my sister answers, yes. The, the, and my dad would bring home the red syrup and he would do, because we have these Nord Norwegian heritage, he would go to the church and he would have a lutefisk night, right? So lutefisk is a fish from traditional fish from Norway that we did once a year. It smells awful, but it's good with butter and salt and pepper. And, um, and then they serve this red sauce and I have no idea, it's like a plum sauce. And for me, community was always centered around food. And it is one thing that's really ironic about being abroad for so long. I didn't know I had such deep emotional connections to food until I was taken away from them. Right. Like an embarrassing things too. Like when I was living in Switzerland, all of a sudden, like craft macaroni and cheese was like something highly coveted. Like I do not miss the irony that I'm living in the best cheese in the world, you know, and I want powdered craft cheese. Right. <laughs> right. So that came to mind. What about you? Yeah. I mean, food is also a big part of it. Um, I could relate to what you said about the cheese, um, uh, going to, uh, and where I am right now is okay because I have my mom uh, around and she cooks, you know, food that are I'm familiar with. And I would choose that, um, over anything fancy <laughs> mm -hmm. or anything that I got used to because of the sentimental attachment that I have uh, with yeah. the food. It reminds me of my childhood and all that. But when I went to China, I did not have uh, any of that. They didn't even have a restaurant, Ethiopian mm. restaurant where I went. It's mm. a, a, a city called Dalian. And uh, there was only one Ethiopian person who was who could <laughs> relate to what I'm talking about other than that, nothing. So I had to get used to um, Chinese food and, you know, Western food. And um, I have for a long time, but food, uh, when my mom makes it or I make it, uh, mm -hmm. it brings a lot of memories and um, sentimental attachment comes totally. to me. So I, I get totally. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like and my, everybody and my husband might not get it. It's like, okay, you're eating that again. I said, <laughs> I say, that's like how you feel about pasta. Okay. Exactly. Like, oh, okay. Okay. And then he gets it. <laughs> no, I for real had a fight with my husband one time because I went, I, we were on a walk and it was fall. And I said, when I get home, I just want to have macaroni and cheese. And I, I was homesick. Right. So we get home and he's, he's throwing it on the oven or whatever. And I'm getting pissed right now. Like he threw in some spices. He was like trying to make it like this fancy French stuff. And I saw, I was like, you, you ruined the macaroni and cheese. You know, like I was offended. And, right. <laughs> and right. we've been married for over 20 years. I just talked to, brought this up again the other night. I was like, remember that time <laughs> when you ruined my craft macaroni and cheese? He's like, wow, I'm still paying for that. Mm -hmm. I Don't get it. Don't yeah. mess it. Don't mess. All right. So um, I'm curious how all of this ties in, you know, your highs and lows of adapting to new communities. How does this tie into the book that you wrote? You wrote a book called You're in America, Now What? The book is a guide to help immigrants transition into their new country, their new home. Tell us more about why you wrote the book. Well, I, I wrote the book because um, when you come into a new country, uh, there is so much newness, right? And um, we talk about um, nothing is familiar. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. especially for people um, that come from the um, the developing nations, right? Mm -hmm. Like Africa mm -hmm. or other developing nations. It, it, it's not a Western world. And I'm sure even for people from Western world, when you move to another country, it's different, right? You have to adjust, you have to adapt, you have to uh, find a new way to exist. And because your skills that you have um, developed and used for many years might not serve you. Some of them might serve you. So it's like relearning re that you have to do. Like right. you're an adult and you have to learn all mm -hmm. this new things and for kids it's easier right <laughs> they right, come right. and they might struggle a little bit uh, in the beginning but somehow they're um they they adapt quickly but for adults it's another story because we're set in our ways and um we we, we like things the way we like them and then when you immerse yourself in a new culture and in a new way of being the western world is completely different for me First mm -hmm. is to understand it, right? <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. in it and understanding it. It's like you are uh, swimming in an ocean and learning how to swim at the same time you are in the ocean. So right. it could be very overwhelming. Yes. And it was very overwhelming for me um, to learn while in the ocean. And um, so I was struggling and I needed something uh, replicable. Like I, I needed... Uh, to share uh, uh, sh somebody share their experience like you and I just shared earlier yeah what's your experience of culture and then you, we get connected and then uh, we could take it farther what's your challenges and then you know uh, mm -hmm. you could share yours I can share mine there's some kind of understanding and a feeling of I'm not alone in this and I see where I'm going so I, I did not have that. I had a lot of support, like how to get a job, how to get a, a housing situated and how to get, uh, sur how to survive, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But that's like sending me a, um, a jacket, a life jacket, right? Yeah, right. And now I had to navigate the whole yeah. ocean. Um, exactly. So I needed to learn those skills. Um, mm -hmm. And to help me navigate and keep my head above uh, the water and be be successful in this culture, not just survive. And that's why I wrote this book because I wanted to make sure that if there's anyone that is coming behind me and is struggling, uh, that they are not alone. That right. these are um, skills they can develop. I mean, of course, it's going to take time. They're not going to magically read this book and then say, mm -hmm. I got it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's giving them the skills. It's a transformation of yourself, finding a new person within you uh, to cope with this culture. Right. That's the, the short version. That's why I wrote this It's good. Book. It's so important. Yeah. And I think it's important that you talked about the transition um, from a developing context to a Western context, how destabilizing that can be. Because a lot of the literature that we have available on, you know, leaving your home and adapting and succeeding is from the other perspective, right? right. And it's, right. there's a lot that's unsaid and unacknowledged when you do that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, even in Switzerland, I met women who were architects or doctors and they were teaching, I don't know, Spanish or whatever language, French, because their professional credentials weren't recognized officially. And right. they, so they're, they're doing all the emotional stuff. They're missing home. They're navigating their relationships 
and they're having to let go of a profession that they spent so many years of their life building. It's very multi-layered. Thank you for writing that book. I think it's so important. It needs to get out there. So we've talked about so many important things uh, today, but before we sort of head toward the end of this conversation, I really wanted to turn our attention to you more personally. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a few questions related to ATT. That's Ambitious Transformation in Transition. Are you up for it? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I am. Okay. So for those who are listening and don't know what I mean by ATT, ATT is Ambitious Transformation and Transition. And there's a couple important aspects of it. Being in transit, our lives in transition is all of the things that are going on in the background, like the global pandemic and maybe, um, I don't know, geopolitics, war and conflict, (laughs) or it could be something as simple as changing family dynamics or your relationship dynamics changing or kids leaving the house, right? So our lives are constantly in transit on many levels. That is happening. And at the same time, each one of us as an individual might be going through a personal transformation, whether it's internally led, externally led, or performance driven, or maybe all at the same time. (laughs) So I'm really curious to hear from you, Sanide. What are some of the transitions that you're feeling right now? Um, Thank you, Sunday. Um, First of all, before I answer that question, I just want to say how much I admire who you are and what you do for others. And uh, (laughs) you're surprising me right now. You're so sweet. uh, I'm not trying to be sweet, but thank you. It's just, uh, I was introduced to you recently, like you said, and after uh, your podcast uh, changed the name to In Transit. And I I was, you know, able to listen to some of the, um, your podcast and oh my God, I really, got a lot out of it um Mm. i love your definition of transit that we are Mm. in transit Mm. and i love how you named it wow Mm. i mean Mm. it it was like of course we know it duh but naming it makes a difference and i using that like you know your method um i identified two major changes in my life right Mm. now them being um, related to work. Um, we have been through the pandemic, you know, we have, I've been working from home and I've been enjoying uh, my kids more and, you know, avoiding traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, I work as a court interpreter part-time and now where they're saying we have to go back, we haven't gone back yet, but I have to think about what that means. So that's the transition, one big transition that I'm going through. And then the other thing that I identified using the exercise was, you know, a nurse who took care of our older son mm-hmm. suddenly left on a medical leave after two years and a half oh, of no, working with hard. us. So we, mm-hmm. we feel the loss since she was like family to us and navigating what the what that means for, you know, my family. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. And this method actually, like when I was doing the exercise, I also identified very, very subtle changes, how these two changes might um, affect other areas. So really powerful. 
Well, gosh, that is so good to hear. You know, what I'm learning from people as they do this thinking for themselves is that it's like, how should I say this? They realize the weight that they've been carrying when they finally name it. Right. Right. And you're doing all the other things, right? You're, you're, you're showing up as a friend, as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother, as a neighbor, you know, and, and many, and on and on and on. And these are going on at the same time. Um, you know, the other thing I love about this is these things are invisible to some people. So people, when they see you in your day, they don't know that maybe your heart strings are tied to your children that you've been physically around for two years or that your, your workload is doubled because the support that you had in place is now missing, right? These are things we don't always name. Exactly. Exactly. So I, so that is happening and you, you know, it's part of everyday life and you might be going through some kind of transformation personally. And as I've talked about it on the podcast, internal led, external led or performance led, not everybody, you know, necessarily identifies with going through a transformation, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing most people are going through one right now. <laughs> it's hard not to, do you identify with any one of those levels of transformation right now? I actually do. Um, um, looking at it from like Miss Francis hanging from the ceiling in my mm -hmm. cocoon, like mm -hmm. when you're, you know, your I love your illustration on your podcast. Um, I identified external the transformation that I'm going through and mm. neutral, right? Those are the two changes that I shared earlier, and mm. those led to those subtle. Um, transitions that I was able to see are happening or coming mm. um, and that that trigger to performance led right, right. so right. transformation that I'm going through so yeah all of the above <laughs> yeah right I think a lot of people can relate to that so yeah. what are you doing to mindfully shape that transformation because you do have almost like conflicting forces happening right there's this performance led transformation that's going on inside of you and you've got some bumps coming up uh, logistically um right. how are what are you doing to take care of you and make sure that you can really stay through that transformation well well <laughs> change is not easy is it mm. <laughs> even though it's you know changes on um what we have and it's always happening and um transition is always happening um it's not easy so um there are days that are hard for me yeah. uh you know I don't want to go through this I, I mm -hmm. want things to remain the same way right so there's, <laughs> there's that resistance mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. working with and um of course when that happens I, I realize that I am human of course yeah. and yeah. I just allow it um you know, I allow myself to be human, but mostly what helped me and what keeps helping me is uh, gratitude to go back to gratitude. Um, mm. Mom, um, at one point in my life that um, was very dark, like there was no light <laughs> around. Mm. Um, I didn't know what to do. And my mom's uh, voice got me out of it. And she kept saying, say thank you. And I kept saying, for what she said mm. just say thank you I said for what nothing is happening like my life has mm -hmm. just you know fall apart and she kept saying just say thank you 
and I tried it for a change and that kind of you know at, at first I didn't feel it but I kept mm-hmm. saying thank you thank you thank you and at some point I found myself in a place of gratitude and I realized um, that has been a tool for me um, to go to uh, to go to um, gratitude because if I'm not in that place I can't even have self-compassion mm. uh, I can't even take care of myself I can't see the achievement I'm already doing I can't see none of that so for me is just to keep saying thank you and you know doing things that I love like gardening I love gardening or going to um, you know nature I love the redwoods <laughs> here and mm. um, or maybe just you know walking by the beach whenever I can and kind of bring myself into that place of gratitude so that I can take care of me and I can you know say you got this mm, everything is gonna be okay <laughs> Yeah. And what I love about there's a, there's like a simplicity there of just turning our eyes towards the beauty that is there, right. If we can like get out of our pain and, and that's not always easy to do and lift our heads just for a moment to look at the sunset or look at these beautiful redwoods. Right. Um, that's beautiful. That's that grounding practice. Right. I've also heard a lot of really great things, uh, like from all the scientific research about gratitude and how that is such a key source of strength. So thank you for reminding us that that is at the tip of our fingers when we're ready for it. It's very smart. So in terms of ambition, um, as you know, ambitious in terms of my definition is it's, disconnected from external scope or scale. It has to be your own terms. And I always use a term that ambitious for someone might just be having clean underwear that week. So it could be grand, right? And it could be small. So for you right now, what feels ambitious or what are your boundaries around something ambitious right now? That's a good question. And I love your definition of ambition. You know, we live in a, in America culture or Western culture Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, pressure us to to be ambitious in different ways but I love your definition of it what works for me and I'm in alignment with that and what I'm ambitious about right now is um you know to surround myself with my community you know while I'm navigating this change and Mm. you know connecting with my friends and recognizing in me you know I don't always have to um give I also am in a place of that I need extra support. I mm. need more support emotionally and, you know, uh, spiritually and, you know, just nurturing myself while I'm doing it separately, but, you know, on my own, but also having um, that from my community, uh, which I'm, I'm already doing, but I, I keep enforcing that. Uh, and I see that you teach about that as well. So, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And what is in alignment for me in this ambition is also, um, it allows me to strengthen my ambition for my children. Um, I always say I want them to grow up um, seeing what it looks like to be around community, right? And Mm -hmm. um, get and give support, what it looks like on the ground, right? My ambition for myself is also uh, helping the ambition that I have for my kids. So that's what ambitious is for me right now. I really resonate with this idea of ambitious is asking for help or 
receiving support from the community. Um, because I didn't grow up with that, right? I grew up with people who modeled do it yourself, you know, hyper individualism, um, right. just push through, right? I, it took me honestly into my forties to start learning. No, maybe my thirties to learn that I could ask for help without right. feeling shameful or guilty. Exactly. And I, I love that, you know, coming to America, I'm, I'm, even though I grew up with the community, I felt like I need to break free. I'm a rebellious and I can do it by myself <laughs> kind mm -hmm, of mentality. Mm -hmm. But I learned through time um, what you are asking uh, support from is also what you are willing to give yes. to your friends yes. and to nurture them. And it's, it's not that they are doing your job for you. It's just that they are nurturing you and giving you support and reminding you of who you are while you are navigating the changes navigating you know the transformation like you mm -hmm. you 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 mentioned whether you're going to be a butterfly or a moth <laughs> um, <laughs> just being there witnessing that with you in the process so i think um i think that's beautiful mm, reminding you of who you are that's what friends are for it's beautiful Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you all day. I'm so grateful that we've had this time together. Oh my God. I uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you. I really, um, and again, I really admire what you do for, uh, the community of expat and everybody else about this mm. very powerful, deep topics and I am a big fan now a new fan <laughs> that oh. I'll be following you <laughs> you are too generous too generous thank you thank you so much for joining me this has been such a delight such a delight I really appreciate that you've come and shared your wisdom with us on in transit thank you so much for having me this is such um a beautiful conversation early morning here in the US. <laughs> I hope that's inspired all the listeners too. So please take a think about what we talked about today and what are the three things that come up when you think of community. I'd also challenge you to grab someone that you know that is from what you think would be a vastly different space and ask them and see if you discover similarities that surprised you like we did today. You've been listening to In Transit with Sunday Bean, steady advice for an unsteady world. Thank you for listening. I will leave you with the words from Brian Solis. Community is about doing something together that makes belonging matter. Um. <laughs>